0: Hello to all out there in the internet world of Facebook. Uh, Bill Allen here from downtown Tyler, Texas, uh, wanting to wish you a welcome on this Thursday afternoon as we're looking at our Facebook study covering the Daily Bible in Chronological Order, uh, edited by F. Legard Smith. It's a wonderful daily Bible reading tool. And I hope that you've been keeping up with this a little bit and going along, reading along with us, either with a hard copy of that book uh, or having an electronic copy. That's what I really appreciate, that you can read on your tablet or on your laptop or on your cell phone. And that will help you uh, whenever you're just having an idle moment or two and wanna catch up on some reading, you can do that. That's a great, great tool. We live in a very blessed day and time, that is for sure. We've been going through uh, the first uh, several weeks of the readings. We Here we are at almost the end of January. And so you're one twelfth of the way through. If you've been uh, keeping up with us, that's been great. And we're uh, in uh, Exodus uh, about, not quite halfway through, but about halfway through. And uh, looking forward to the rest of uh, this great study. Exodus is a wonderful narrative. It's about to get a little crazy on us because we have Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that have a lot of interchange. And so hopefully you'll be able to... Stay up with us and notice how Ephelagard Smith does that in his uh, Daily Bible as he uh, tries to keep up with everything and do that in chronological fashion. Um, Genesis, of course, is all narrative pretty much, straightforward, 1 uh, to 50. And then Exodus, for a while, as we have seen, is mostly narrative. The story of Moses we began uh, over the last few sessions looking at Uh, Moses coming and uh, the Israelites finally getting through with the book of Genesis and finding themselves in Egypt. And then Moses uh, starting up in the first few chapters of Exodus as the plight of the Israelites becomes very, very difficult. uh, As uh, Exodus 1 in the familiar King James Version says it, there arose a Pharaoh in Egypt who knew not Joseph. And so the king of the land, the head of the uh, Egyptian empire, uh, refused to acknowledge the good that the Israelites had done through Joseph uh, 400 years before Moses or so, and, um, and so he put them in slavery and uh, made their plight very, very difficult. On Tuesday, we looked at God's call to Moses from the burning bush and how Moses responded with excuse after excuse after excuse. At age 80, he had learned a lot of humility. But God still had him as his man. He wasn't ready at age 40, but he was at age 80. And, uh, and God called him to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, which Moses did. And we saw that this past Tuesday, and we saw the excuses that Moses gave one after the other, and God answering each one of them, until finally Mo- God just said, that's it. We're done here. You're going. Um, you're going. And Moses did, uh, again, to his credit. He met up with his brother Aaron, and Aaron became the spokesperson. Remember, one of Moses' excuses was, I don't talk good, and never have. And God said, hey, who made your mouth, first of all? And then later he said, Aaron will go with you, and Aaron will be the words, and he'll speak uh, to Pharaoh for you, and you will be like a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be like your spokesman. So it was very interesting, interesting stuff. Today we get uh, through Exodus chapters 5 through 15 and we'll be looking at the ten plagues very briefly and looking at the great story of the Passover and then doing a little bit of summarizing and connecting to what the church remembers uh, now, not just once a year as the Old Testament Jews did the Passover but and the New Testament Jews. Uh, but rather um, the Lord's Supper, the communion, uh, that special time that we break bread and drink from the cup every single Sunday, uh, remembering not the deliverance from Egypt, although we will mention that, but specifically the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on the cross and the call that he makes uh, for us to live that same way uh, today. So as we're thinking about these plagues, and I know, you know, we were joking, I was joking with a couple of my dear friends and, and fellow ministers here in the office a little bit earlier. And I was saying, you know, what I should do is just show some clips from uh, Cecil B. DeMille's wonderful 1956 version of the 10 Commandments and have Charlton Heston up there as Moses and the wonderful Yul Brynner as Pharaoh, uh, all of those that uh, were so, so good in that movie. Uh, And a lot of us uh, remember that movie in a great, great way. Um, Don't ever miss an opportunity to watch it when it comes on, and it does come on sometimes. And of course, now in the days of streaming, you can get it just about any time. Um, But as Moses goes to Pharaoh, uh, he tells him, God says, let my people go so they can go and worship me and come back initially. And Pharaoh says, no, you guys are just lazy. That's why you want to go. You got too much time on your hands. So he takes their straw away, tells them, maintain the same quota of bricks, but you got to gather your own supplies. And so the people react as you would expect them to a little bit of a foreshadowing of what Moses is in for, for the next 40 years. They grumble against Moses and they complain and they say, hey, you've just made our, our, our plight worse. And, um, And so still God goes uh, through Moses, challenges Pharaoh, and it's really not a battle of Moses uh, versus Pharaoh, but rather it's a battle of the Lord God, the one true and living creator God, uh, versus the gods of the Egyptians or or really any other false god. And so because Pharaoh says no at first, Moses begins and, and does the plagues. And uh, he turns the water to blood, uh, and uh, the magicians of Pharaoh somehow are able to, through sleight of hand, uh, do the same thing. And so Pharaoh is not impressed for a while, but then ultimately each time he's going to come around and say, Okay, okay, enough, relent, and Moses will, and then Pharaoh uh, hardens his heart once again. After changing the water to blood and then back, God sends frogs. Uh, um, And, you know, as a boy, I used to play with toads and frogs and all of that, Uh, loved him, but I wouldn't like everywhere I step, every place that you go. And yet that's what it was like. Uh, The gnats, he sends gnats after that and flies, sends flies after that. And somewhere along in here, um, the, the magicians of Pharaoh are beginning to say, hey, look, Uh, This is this is the real deal. This is the real thing. We can't we can't hold up uh, to this We can't match up. We can't go toe-to-toe With this God because this God really truly is God One of the things that's interesting to me and I said it on Tuesday that uh, We see throughout these passages is God's concern not just that the Israelites would know That he is the Lord and the true living God, but that the Egyptians would know also uh, that he is God, and also all the nations that would hear about it, and we know that this actually happens because when Joshua is leading the people after Moses' death, and he is going to cross the Jordan River and take the city of Jericho, you know the story of the spies that jo- that Joshua sends into Jericho. They spend the night at a woman's house by the name of Rahab, and um, and she makes the great one of the greatest confessions you'll find in all of Scripture. Uh, She tells those two spies, we've heard about everything your God did in Egypt, and we believe that your God is God, and we're scared to death here. And so she makes a deal with them and and saves them when um, the the, uh, uh, leader of the city of Jericho sends troops to try to find them. And sure enough, Rahab is saved, and her family, all that are in her home, at the time that Jericho comes. All of that happens because of what we've read about this week. All of these incredible events and what we'll be reading about in the weeks to come as God leads his people through the wilderness and Moses leads them uh, for 40 years until going up Mount Nebo and never coming down and Joshua taking over the leadership. Well, after turning water to blood and bringing on frogs and gnats and flies, Uh, Then there is the death of livestock. Uh, God sends uh, a a message to Pharaoh that your livestock are going to die, and sure enough, that's what happens. And then boils, horrible boils that are very painful for uh, the Egyptians. uh, And hail, and then locusts all uh, throughout uh, the land, and then darkness upon the land. And in all these plagues, and the last one that we'll mention in just a moment, it's interesting that uh, God spares the Israelites. In their land of Goshen, they don't experience these things. It's just the Egyptians, and they notice that. They notice that clearly from God. And so God continues to uh, uh, bring about um, uh, plague after plague after plague until finally... Um, God says I will send one more plague upon Pharaoh and he will surely uh, let all of you go and it is the death of the firstborn just as Pharaoh had tried to kill the um, uh, the, the male children because in Moses days uh, because he was worried that the Israelites were gaining too much strength and power and they began to be a little bit threatened by them and um, Now God is going to send the death of the firstborn upon all of Egypt. But first, he establishes the Passover. And so God tells uh, the children of Israel, Today will be the first day of your year. This day will be a special day. And, And he says that you are to mark the 14th day, and on that the Passover festival begins. And today... Um, you will see that observed even still. and the Passover, uh, the Israelites gather in their homes. Um, it's uh, a very special day. There is not to be any leaven or yeast found, not just in the meal, but in the home. And, um, and they are to eat it with their travel clothes on. And everything about this points to the deliverance that God is about to bring. Basically, he's telling them, you will not have time to wait for the bread to rise you will not have time to change your clothes. You eat this meal, uh, sh- uh, uh, slay that lamb, and then put uh, the signs on the doorposts, uh, the blood of that lamb, and put it on the doorpost so that uh, God will pass over you. And so every home that the Israelites were in, they shut that door tight, but before they did, they put uh, the blood around uh, the doorpost. And as they did this, they continued to uh, observe that Passover festival, having uh, eaten that meal together and also um, making sure that there was no leaven or yeast to be found. And so, sure enough, during the night, God passes over, that angel of death passes over those homes of the faithful Israelites. And, um, and in every home in Egypt there is a wail and a cry and we can understand that, how, how mournful and, and sorrowful that, that must have been, that horrible, horrible night, all because of faithlessness and God is trying to not just uh, help the Israelites to see his power and his uh, worthiness of our worship, but also the, Isra- the Egyptians. And again, everyone who would hear about this. And so finally, uh, Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians say, go, go. After this, leave, leave us, leave us. And so the Israelites do. And and God had said that they're going to be so anxious for you to leave that they will invite you to take their stuff. Take anything you can. And that's what they do. And as Exodus tells us, and so the Israelites plundered the Egyptians without firing a shot because their God, our God, fought for them. And so we read uh, about all of this in Exodus chapter uh, 14, and we're getting through uh, the Passover in chapter 12 and continuing on, and now they're on the run. In chapter 14, they leave, and as we know from those great scenes in the movie, The Ten Commandments, and yes, from reading the book of Exodus, uh, we know that Pharaoh has a change of heart. And they begin to think to themselves, why why have we done this? I'm sure not just because they had lost their gravy train, all of their free workers, but also because they were probably very angry uh, because of the loss of their children and all of the other plagues. Uh, which, as Eflagard Smith brings out, probably happened over a period of weeks, perhaps even a few months, uh, because they had to have time to go through everything and all of this. But at any rate, the Israelites are now on the run. They're leaving. They take Joseph's bones with them. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob called Israel. Uh, His son Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers and ended up in Egypt, ultimately came to power second in command under Pharaoh and and saved the nation and the Israelites and the world at that time who all came to Egypt for bread because Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream about what was going to happen in the famine that was to come. And, and, and so Joseph told uh, his, um, his people before he was about to die, he said, I know that God will surely, surely bring you out of here and deliver you and will keep the promises he has made to Abraham and Isaac and to my father Jacob. And so when he does, I don't want to stay in Egypt. I want you to take my bones with you whenever that is. And 400 years later, that's exactly what happens. They take the bones of Joseph with them. They're on the run. Pharaoh and his uh, people, his soldiers decide to go after them, and they do. And so in the words of the great Yule Yule Brenner in uh, the Ten Commandments, um, he talks about God being not a very good general because he has himself boxed in. He has the people boxed in, and they have the Red Sea in front of them, uh, and they have the Egyptian army coming behind them. And God had been leading them through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, and so now uh, the Israelites are are beginning to be afraid, and they're saying, "Why?" The grumbling starts and continues, and says, "Why, why did you do this? Why did you bring us here to where the Egyptian army is just going to kill us all? Let's go back." In Exodus 14, that's what the people say. Moses says, as you know, "Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord." My best Charlton Heston imitation, which ain't very good. And uh, and and yet, the people say, let's go back. Moses says, stand still. And God says, wait, what are you doing? Tell the people to move on. Tell the people to go forward. And I'm sure Moses was looking at the Red Sea, and he's thinking, um, come again. And God says, lift up your staff. Lift up that rod that, uh, that has done such powerful things and uh, God separated the waters in the Red Sea and the people all went across and everything they had with them uh, on dry ground. And when the Israelites begin to get out of that uh, Red Sea bed, uh, the Pharaoh's army is finally freed and they're able to to go after them and they do. And when they do, God has Moses again, uh, call for the waters to come together and they do. And Pharaoh's army uh, is, is killed in the Red Sea. And so um, it's an incredible triumph uh, for uh, God's people, for Moses, for the Lord God. And the people, of course, uh, worship at least for now. And Moses sings a great song in Exodus 15. We, we read the Song of Moses and the Song of Miriam his sister Miriam and how God has thrown the horse and his rider into the sea and through a high and powerful and uplifted hand, God delivers his people. Um, And it's just an incredible, incredible um, uh, story. And I want to read a little bit from Hebrews chapter 11. This is from Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Boy, what a great writer. The writer of Hebrews is guided and inspired by the Holy Spirit. He saw him who is invisible. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, all of those things happened. And the Passover feast, the annual feast that the Jews observed was done so that they could remember. And as uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy both say, when your children ask you, why do we do this? What does this mean? You tell them the story you tell them the story. You tell them about that Egyptian bondage and you tell them about the deliverance of the Lord through those mighty plagues and the death of the firstborn and the deliverance of the firstborn of Israel and going through the Red Sea and seeing their enemies destroyed. You tell them that story. And in the same way, we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's not the Passover. It's not even the last supper. It was instituted then But that was Jesus and his closest disciples keeping the Passover feast. The Lord's Supper is not the Last Supper, but there are many elements of the Last Supper uh, that are in our communion service in the days of the church on this side of the empty tomb and the day of Pentecost when the church began. And so we uh, have lots of wonderful uh, reminders of that through the Lord's Supper. Uh, Randy Chestnut in an article years ago in Levin Journal talked about the Last Supper and the Lord's Supper and gave some wonderful things that I incorporated into my doctor ministry project thesis for ACU, developing a theology of the Lord's Supper. Here he says this, that the Passover was meant to look up to God and acknowledge God's salvation history, how he saved them. Uh, The Passover was meant to look back, to remember all those things that God had done in the past, how he had always delivered us. Uh, You were to look around. It was a communal meal. They met around the table in the homes, and they looked around, and they told the story to each other. And then it's also a time of looking ahead to know that God, in his power, just as he saved them in the past, just as he saved us in the past, would deliver us in the future as well. All of those same elements we find as we partake of the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day, every Sunday. Uh, We look up, that's the vertical, we look up to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins and how he instituted that supper uh, the night before he died. Um, We also look back, we look back at God's salvation history, that rich, rich Greek word anamnesis, that talks about not just remembering, but it's a dynamic re-experiencing. The Israelites, as they told the story, uh, they told it as if it was happening to them, and we tell the story as if it's happening to us. We look back on that. It's a dynamic remembering and re-experiencing of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We look up to God, the vertical. We look back as well, and we look around, and this is the horizontal. And I think this is one of the most neglected parts of the Lord's Supper. Very important in the Passover that they took this communal meal together. They ate around a a common table and they told the story to each other um, and to the children so that that story would be passed along. Well, there's a horizontal aspect to the Lord's Supper as well. It's meant to be taken as a family. It's the church's family meal. And I realize in the days of COVID, we've had a hard time connecting with that, but we need to do the every bit of uh, the best we can. And so even those who are communing with us online are communing with us. We're gathered around the same table and we ache for the days when the whole church will be able to meet around that table once again. And we know that those days will ultimately come unless the Lord returns and that would be okay too. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Corinthians, it wasn't the problem of the vertical for them. Oh, they still thought about Jesus. They just weren't thinking about each other. And it was so significant that Paul said, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. If you're not being considerate of one another, if you're not seeing that death of Christ and and asking, how do I need to live that out in my life? Um, the horizontal aspect. Look around and then finally look ahead. Look forward to the time of Christ's return. And the Lord's Supper is a proclamation and a confession of the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, Jesus himself said, uh, do this in remembrance of me. And we do that in remembrance of him and we look forward to the time when he will return. I love a term that I found in my Lord's Supper studies years ago by Keith Watkins. It's the term called contemplative joy. We're not supposed to be irreverent as we partake of the Lord's Supper, but we're supposed to be joyful just like they were at Passover. Uh, Yes, we are very cognizant and uh, uh, somber in a sense that Jesus died on that cross, but that wasn't the end of the story. And we celebrate the resurrection as well. The tomb is empty And so there is a joy there. It's contemplative. Again, I like that term, contemplative joy. We think about the high price for our salvation, but we rejoice in the fact that that price was paid. Um, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Quotes from Romans 5 and 2 Corinthians 5. And so that is uh, a a joyful part of our we're always reverent absolutely of course but that doesn't mean we don't smile and that doesn't mean we don't uh, consider the great joy that comes to us because of the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ so as we close this story and we think of those powerful plagues and we think of deliverance through the red sea And uh, we think of that Passover celebration and that first long night. Um, And we think of our Lord on the cross. And we think of the joy of those disciples as they celebrated that Lord's Supper, knowing that he was raised from the dead, knowing that he was going to come again. We too recognize that God still saves his people. We still tell that story. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. I believe that that's something that is not just a wonderful lyric in a great Christian hymn, uh, but it's something that all of us should live by. And we close with these words from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May God bless you this weekend.